When I come up here, sometimes I, when you guys are applauding uh, Miss Terry playing that music, I think I imagine that you're applauding that I'm coming up here. So, uh, just a little. If you have a message guide, you will notice that it says at the uh, top of the page, uh, the book of Revelation. And that's not a mistake. Today we begin a a study in the book of Revelation in an unusual way. Uh, We begin by looking at uh, Genesis uh, because we need to understand this as a foundation as to why we actually need the book of Revelation. And see, in Genesis we see paradise lost, and in Revelation we see paradise regained. So that's where we're going to be headed. So I'm taking the plunge into the book of Revelation. It's going to be a challenge, uh, but uh, hang in there. It it could be fun. Her name was Bridget Driscoll. She was 44 years old. And uh, it was August 17th, 1896, and she and her daughter were spending a pleasant uh, holiday in London. And they never dreamed that by nightfall, Bridget would become famous. Uh, On that day, according to law enforcement, Bridget was struck by a car traveling at the tremendous speed of four miles per hour. And tragically, she became the first recorded fatality in automotive history. The driver was later absolved of any charges, but the the coroner who worked that case reportedly remarked, I trust that this sort of nonsense will never happen again. Tragically, it has happened again and again and again and again. For the the last three years in the United States alone, uh, we have had over 40,000 roadway deaths each year. The first death caused by an automotive uh, automobile back in uh, 1896 uh, has has had many, many, many more to follow. And today we're going to look at some of the first in the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to look at, uh, in, in the Bible itself, uh, we're going to be seeing the first man, the first woman, uh, the first marriage, the first job that a man received, uh, the first warning that God ever gave. We'll see the first uh, question and the first lie in the Bible, both from the lips of Satan, uh, and tragically, we're going to see the first sin ever committed. And it would be naive and foolish for us to say, like that coroner, uh, I trust that this kind of foolishness will never go on again. The first sin in the world, like the first death caused by an automobile, once unleashed, has led to many sins and to great suffering. 
And we're focusing on Genesis chapter 3, but to set the stage this morning, I want us to read portions of Genesis chapter 2. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to look with me to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 7. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now look down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. And let's look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord fashioned into, the, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man." For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, I am all so grateful for the revelation that you give. For all the things that you explain to us and, and help us to understand to know. We thank you for helping us to, to see the picture of where sin has come from and its consequences. But God, we are also grateful to know that uh, uh, you have a plan for us to overcome that sin, that tragic time in our history when we, we fell into sin. And so, Father, as today as we look at your word, we, we just trust that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher God, help me not to be a hindrance, but help me to be a help and, and speak in a way that will be understandable and beneficial to your people. And may, most of all, Lord, may your grace and your goodness be exalted before us today. May we be compelled to come to you in love and obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Genesis 2 ends with the man and the woman... Uh, Adam and Eve, as we know them, living in the delight of the Garden of Eden. And, and, and we have seen already seen, as we read, the first marriage between the man and the woman performed by God himself. We've seen the first job that God has given to man, and that is to keep and to cultivate the garden. We've seen the first warning that God gave to man, he says, uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And then he, he, if we look at this, the idea of the garden in which they lived, it was called Eden. Eden 
is a word that means delight. And the word garden, as it's found in the Septuagint, which is the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, is actually the word paradise. It's the word paradise. So we have a, the delight of paradise. Everything was as it should be. It, they were in a perfect place with perfect companions. Uh, they were in perfect harmony with the creation around them. They were in perfect harmony with a creator who had created them. And they had a perfect future laid out for them. No one ever had it as good as that first couple. And then we come to Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible for many reasons. But, but think about this. If it had not been for the events that transpired in Genesis chapter 3, there would have been no need for the rest of the Bible to have been written. Because everything that is written in the Bible afterwards addresses what happened in Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we also, we have the explanation from God about how sin came to be introduced into humanity. Uh, We also understand how that Satan works to tempt and to ensnare and to destroy us. Uh, We discover the consequences of sin, and we see how that God's grace began to work to rescue us from that sin. And that includes the promise of the cross, of the resurrection, and it includes the promise that paradise will be regained. How? Through the rule and the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the earth. And that's where we're headed when we get to Revelation. So we will see paradise regained. So the book of Revelation shows us the, the final fulfillment of all of God's promises. And I want you to look with me at five things that happened with the first man and woman. So first, we find Satan and then Eve distorting God's truth. Distorting God's truth. And verse 1 tells us there that now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. We're introduced here to the serpent. Now, it's impossible for us really to know what kind of animal the serpent really was. What we do know is that everything that God created was good. So as a creature, the serpent was good. But it says in in verse 1 that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. And you kind of think, oh, wow, something's coming on here. But understand, the word crafty is not necessarily a negative word. It's used many times in the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, it's translated sometimes prudent and sometimes sensible. So if you look at it from that perspective, you could see it be translated, the serpent was more sensible than any creature on the earth. Now, I think what that means is that this is the reason that Satan chose the serpent to be an instrument through which he would speak to the woman because he had a pleasant or a positive uh, appearance 
a manifestation of something good. And so our text does not tell us that this is that Satan was using the serpent. But when you go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it tells us there in chapter 20 and verse 2 that he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old. The serpent of old, that's the serpent we're talking about here in Genesis 3. And who is he? He is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. So this creature called the dragon or the serpent of old is very clearly here Satan and the devil. Now, elsewhere we learn in the Bible that Satan was an angelic being who was created perfect, but then rebelled against God in heaven before the earth was created. And then once he failed in his rebellion against God in heaven, he made as his target then God's chief creation, man and woman created in the image of God. So he is our adversary. He is our enemy. And 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaming, a roaring lion uh, seeking someone to devour. You see, Satan is an adversary. He's your adversary. He's our adversary. And he is out to destroy you. That's his goal. And, but listen, <clears throat> when Satan shows up at your door... He doesn't show up smelling like smoke and looking like hell. He shows up looking very pleasant, looking like something good and appealing and attractive. Uh, in fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 tells us, it says that uh, um, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He comes looking like a messenger of light, but in reality, his message is full of deception. And in John eight forty four, Jesus says of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of of lies. So according to the Bible, Satan shows up looking positive, pleasant, appealing, but he is filled with lies and his goal is to destroy. And that's what happened to Eve in the garden. In verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, this is the ser- Satan speaking through the, the serpent. Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? See, Satan used the serpent to distort God's truth. And there are three lies that Satan tells the woman. They're the same three lies that Satan tells people today. The first lie is this. God is not good. Uh, that's the essence of really what the serpent is saying. He's saying, God, God, God's not really good. And he implies this, he communicates this to one by a question. Now, interestingly, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 is the first question mark 
in the Bible. Now, in the original Hebrew language, there are no uh, punctuation marks whatsoever. But, but, the, but this question mark here in our English Bible is very appropriate because this is exactly what Satan is doing. He's questioning God. He's, he's trying to get Eve to question God. The, the ESV uh, says very clearly, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see, God had actually said the opposite. Look at verse 16 in chapter 2. He says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. God is, or or, uh, Satan, is distorting God's truth. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get Eve to think negatively about God. And when, he can, when you can get someone to think negatively about God, so you can cause people to doubt God. And when people begin to doubt God, then they're at the next stage of turning against God. And this is what he's doing. And let me tell you, um, he, says, he says, did God really tell you that you couldn't eat from any tree? In the garden, he said, girl, he is holding out on you. See, too many people have a negative view of God. Too many people think that God is trying to withhold something from them. That God is trying to keep you from experiencing the best in life, trying to keep you from certain pleasures. They think that God, all that God says is, 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 no, you can't do this and you can't do that. It's don't, don't, don't. That's how they, they view God as, as always in the negative sense. I, I remember when we, uh, we, uh, uh, were living in Texas, uh, uh, Daniel, our oldest son, he was just a, a toddler. And I was outside uh, gr- getting ready to grill some, some hamburgers. And we'd bought this old thing from Kmart with this original name called Old Smokey. And you know, it was kind of where you put the briquettes in there. And I had gotten it all hot and r- r- waiting for to put the hamburgers on. Daniel's over here. He's playing in his sand and with his, some of his toys. And so I go to get some of the hamburgers. And when I turn around, I noticed out of the corner of my eye, Daniel headed toward that, that grill. And it just scares me. And I run over and I go, no! You know, I scare the little guy to death, you know. And, and I'm grabbing his hand and I'm telling him, no. And then I'm telling him, hot, hot. I'm trying to tell him. But I'm thinking, look, he doesn't know what hot is. Uh, he knows no, but he doesn't really know hot. But I'm going hot. And you know how when you... When someone can't understand you, you, if you say it louder, they'll be able to study. You know, or if you say it slower, hot. You know, you, you, nothing was working. You just didn't get it, you know. So he goes back playing. We, get, we eat. And then we come back out. And the grill is starting to, to cool off. He's playing. And he manages to go over to that grill and put his little finger on there. Oh, man, he starts screaming and crying. 
And I'm over there going, hot, hot. <laughs> this is what hot means, you know. <laughs> and and then from then on, everything that was that was a round, a trash can, a barrel, I mean, everything was hot, everything hot. We see that. Do you know that Adam and Eve didn't know what sin was? They didn't know what death was. Not really. See, this is the first time they have experienced it. And experientially, really. And let me tell you something. You don't know the depths of sin either. You don't know what it can do to your life. And you don't really know that sin is hot, ultimately. There's a hot that you have never, ever imagined in your life. And when God tells you no, when God says don't, it's not because he's trying to keep you from getting a juicy hamburger It's because he's trying to keep you from being hurt. Anytime God says no, it's for your benefit. And he does it out of love. Satan loves to impugn God's goodness. And I think there's some evidence that he was successful in doing this with Eve. Notice her response in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent... From the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Now, did you notice that Eve added to what God had said? See, uh, God had simply said, you shall not eat of any of the tree." Uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you shall surely die. But Eve added, neither shall you touch it. Why'd she do that? Probably because she's already thinking negatively about God because of what Satan has planted in her mind. And, and it, it, she's thinking, well, God's, he's, he's holding out on me. See, when you add to what God has said, you do not enhance his holiness you diminish his goodness. She made God more strict than what he is. And really, that's what legalism does. Legalism adds rules to what God has said, makes him more strict than what he really is, and it diminishes his goodness when sometimes people think they're enhancing God's holiness. But that's not the case. So Satan's first lie is that God is not good. And then he tells a second lie, and it's God is not truthful. Verse 4 says, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Now, friends, that is a lie. God had lovingly laid down this warning, don't eat of this tree or you will die. But Satan said, that's not true. You will not die. God is not truthful. His word can't be trusted. Friends, he's saying God is lying about judgment. God is lying about the consequences of sin. Nothing is going to happen to you. And listen, I want to tell you, that is the lie that most of the world has come to believe. 
Our world has come to believe that there are no consequences, really, for sin. There is no judgment for sin. We've allowed the devil to whisper in our ears that that this is not going to hurt you. Uh, There's nothing wrong with it, or you can get away with it. God will understand. He knows that's just how you are. And then when we blow it and we sin, you know when he comes along? He says, boy, that's too late for you. There's no forgiveness for you. Boy, I tell you, you've gone so far. You've gone so far down this road. You might as well keep going. You don't have anything else to lose. You might as well keep on. Because what's his goal? His goal is to destroy your life. And he wants to destroy you with with the consequences of your own sin. He tells a third lie. He says, God is not kind. God is is not gracious. In verse 5, he says, "For, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, he's implying that God has a hidden agenda and that it is uh, cruel. He's trying to keep you from your, your, your fullest potential. He, he's holding out all the power for himself. He doesn't want you to get on in on what he's got. God is not good. God is not truthful. God is not kind. You see, Satan has planted these ideas in Eve's thinking, and it leads her to rebel against God, to sin, and, and to turn her heart away from God. And, and it's a reminder, listen, it's a reminder that Satan's greatest work in our lives is always in our mind and in our thinking and in our understanding of who God is. That's where he's really attacking us. There's a real spiritual battle going on. And And he attacks our theology, what we believe about God. And when we begin to think wrong thoughts about God, then we're more likely to turn against God. If that was true for Eve in paradise, that's certainly true for us today. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. How easily, how easily our understanding of God gets distorted. Sin at its root is unbelief. And sin begins to distort our, not only the truth of God, it distorts our view of God and it leads to our rebellion. So we see first uh, the serpent and then Eve distorting God's truth. And then we see Eve and then Adam disobeying God's will. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate also. The woman is deceived by the serpent. And she eats this forbidden fruit in spite of God's clear warning. Her sin is reprehensible. But her her husband's sin is even more so. 
And you see, because Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. Adam's sin is just outright rebellion against God. And that's why the Bible always points to Adam directly as being the one who brought sin into the world through the, to the human race. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam sinned willfully with his eyes wide open. He made a choice to disobey God, and humanity has suffered ever since. So we see Adam and Eve disobeying God's will. Now, the question is often asked, you know, why did God plant the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden in the first place? It was God who planted it there. It wasn't Satan. God put it there intentionally. Why did he put that there? And why did he then say to these two people, don't eat of that or you will die? Well, here's why. When God planted that tree in the garden, he gave man both the freedom and the opportunity to choose to obey him and love him. It, it was a choice, and it was a freedom. And you see, without freedom, without a choice, love can't be genuine. Obedience can't be real. You have to have the freedom, and you have to have the opportunity. Otherwise, it's artificial. Coerced love is not real love. Coerced obedience is not really obedience. If Adam and Eve had not had any other choice but to obey... That would not have been real obedience. Now, here's a, here's a little experiment that you can try. Um, and don't try it now if you wouldn't mind. Uh, but here's, here's one. Take your smartphone sometime and go somewhere where nobody will hear you. You don't want to be caught, heard doing this. But take your smartphone and uh, pull up your artificial intelligence whether it's Siri or, or uh, um, Alexa or one of those other strange-named women. Uh, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, and I did this. I have to confess, I did it. And then ask, I have an iPhone, so I asked Siri. I said, Siri, do you love me? And... And, and Siri says, uh, well, I think you're pretty great. And I said, well, yeah, I know that. But, 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 but do you love me? And she says, you have my utmost admiration. Okay. All right, Siri, do you love me? She says, I enjoy spending quality time with you. I'm sure you do. And then I said, Siri, come on, do you love me? And she said, I respect you. Siri will never say, I love you. Because an artificial intelligence cannot be love. It cannot be programmed. Love cannot be programmed. 
God could have programmed Adam and Eve to do whatever he wanted them to do. He could have had some artificial intelligence in the garden, but he didn't. He gave them both the freedom and the opportunity to choose to love him. And, uh, and instead of using that freedom to love God and obey him, they chose to disobey God, and they went from distorting God's truth to disobeying God's truth. And after that, we see Adam and Eve deserving God's judgment. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Now let me remind you that verse 7 says that the eyes of them both were opened. And, and for the first time in their lives, you see, Adam and Eve are experiencing the reality of sin and its consequences. That sin is no longer a word like hot. Now, sin is a word when, like when you touch that hot grill and you realize the reality of it. They've come to understand it. And you see, and look what happened. Instead of being liberated, what? Well, they are ashamed. They become aware of their nakedness. They, they attempt to try to sew fig leaves together to, to cover themselves. And rather than being like God, well, they hid from God. They heard the presence of his, him coming in the garden, and, and they said, man, we got to get out of his presence. That's the way it always is. You see, when people are in sin, they don't want to be around God. They don't want to be around the things of God. They don't want to be in church. They run from God. And, and rather than being powerful, well, they're afraid. And this is the first time the word afraid appears in the book of Genesis, in the Bible. So look here. We have shame, hiding, uh, fear, and that's what, bring, what sin brings into our lives. And then there's blaming and there's excusing. Verse 11, and he said, uh, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I command you not to eat? Now notice what happens when God confronts Adam with his sin. He first blames Eve. Look at verse 13. Then, then uh, or verse 12, the, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. I tend to read that verse this way. The man, th then the man said, the woman whom you gave me. Now, ultimately, he puts the blame on God. Oh, I was fine until she showed up. And in verse 13, uh, the, the, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And, 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 the, and the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. Wow. So who's she blaming? She's blaming the serpent. Someone has said uh, the man blamed the woman. 
The woman blamed the serpent. The serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Sorry, that's a dad joke. <laughs> so there was shame, hiding, fear, blaming, and excusing, but there was no confession. There was no repentance. And so God judged their sin. In verse 14, God pronounced a judgment on the serpent. It would be the most cursed creature. It would crawl on its belly, eating dust. In verse 15, God pronounced Satan, uh, judgment on Satan, who used the serpent. His head would be crushed by the offspring of the woman. Uh, in verse 15, or verse 16, God judged the man and the woman, promising her pain in childbirth, him difficulty in cultivating the ground and bringing forth a crop from, uh, 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 to, to food to eat. Verse 19, God judged humanity with difficult lives on earth and then eventual death. Look at verse 19. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Wow. So what do we have? We have judgment, horrible things happening as a result of them uh, disobeying God. And then we find Adam and Eve departing from God's paradise. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim, and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. See, God was unwilling to allow man to reach out and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever in his sinful condition. So in order to protect him from that, God expelled this man and this woman from the garden, and then he placed angelic guards there, with a flaming sword that turned every direction to prevent them to coming back into the garden and partaking of that tree of life. And paradise was lost. Do you feel that moment in history? Paradise was lost. And the man and the woman could not make their way back to the place where they were before. So the question comes, as they're being expelled, is there any hope for them? Is there any hope for their descendants? Is there any hope for us who carry out sin in like manner of our descendants? Is there any hope? Well, the answer is absolutely yes, there is. And this is where we see Adam and Eve depending on God's grace. Have you ever noticed that when you're shopping like for a car and you pick out maybe a couple of models that you're really interested in, you're thinking about buying, 
that all of a sudden you see those cars everywhere. You know, they kind of pull up to you at the light, or you see them in the parking lot. They appear on ads. They appear on your, somehow they appear on your computer screen magically. I, I don't know. It's like somebody's been listening. Could have been Siri, do you think? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, you know, you see all you, you know, why do we all of a sudden see this particular car that we're interested in? It's because that's where we're focused. That's what we're thinking about. So when we see those things, we, see, we, we pick them out. When you come to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, what do you come looking for? What are you focused on? Well, if you're looking for the deception of Satan, man, you can see it everywhere in this passage. If you're looking for the weakness and sinfulness of people, well, it's, it, this is full of it. If you're looking for the judgment and the consequences of sin, it's everywhere. But what if you're looking for the grace of God? If you're looking for the grace of God, you will find the grace of God all over this passage. You can see it when God did not immediately destroy Adam and Eve after they sinned. They could have died that moment. That could have been it for them. But God didn't do that. God gave them opportunity to repent, to change. And instead, when he came to the garden and he found them hiding, what did God do? He goes after them. He seeks them out. You know, the, the Romans tells us that no one seeks after God. But I, I'm grateful that Jesus says that I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. God comes looking for us. You see, we go hide from God, but God comes after us. We don't deserve this grace, but God gives it to us anyway. And you can see God's grace in the first words that he spoke to man. He says, where are you? He calls to our attention the reality of our circumstances. We look negatively on the idea of of conviction, that God would convict us of our sin. But that conviction is what would cause us to realize our need to turn to him and to be freed from our sin. You see, I'm so glad that God really has, is a God of grace and he comes after us. And you can see God's grace in speaking to the serpent. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first gospel and it's found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And he says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, friends, that is the very first prophecy of Jesus that we find in Scripture. Jesus is the seed of the offspring of the woman. That's who he's talking about. And he's the virgin-born son of God. And, and the bruised heel of the seed is Jesus' death on the cross. He suffered and he died For our sin, but praise God, God raised him from the dead. And the bruised head of Satan is the promise of Satan's total defeat. Satan Satan is going to be taken out of this world. And Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God's grace sent Jesus to the cross. God's grace brought him up from the grave, and God's grace is going to defeat Satan forever. 
And when we can see God's, and we can also see God's grace in the sacrifice that God made to cover Adam and Eve in their, in their guilt and their shame. In verse 21, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You see, their efforts to clothe themselves were inadequate. Your effort to make yourself right with God, to cover up your sin and your guilt, will, is, is, is impossible for you to do alone. Only God can take that, uh, uh, need that we have and cover it. Only God could take that animal, those animals that he made skins for, that points back to, or points forward actually, to Christ and the death that he died on the cross because there God took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he clothes everyone who believes in him. He forgives us of our sin and he wraps us in his perfect righteousness and he makes us acceptable to him. You see, The story of Adam and Eve show us our need for God's grace. And the story of Jesus brings us the riches of God's grace. A final verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Now that simple verse shows us that there are only two categories of people. We are either in Christ or we are in Adam. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all live. Let me ask you this question. Where are you? See, that's why Jesus died on the cross. And... I told you earlier that the word uh, garden means paradise. When Jesus was dying on the cross, there was a wicked man hanging on another cross right beside of him. And this, and this man came to recognize who Jesus was, and he made a simple request. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today... You shall be with me in paradise. Today, you shall be with me in paradise. In that moment, that day, for that man, paradise would be regained. And when you are in Christ, friend, there is a beautiful future. You have that hope in Christ. But in Adam... You die. And the question is, where are you? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? You say, well, how would I get into Christ? See, you're born into Adam. You're born with his nature. You're automatically, that's the default. How do I get into Jesus? It's simple. You ask him. You just ask him. You believe that he really died on the cross for you, and you believe that he is a God of grace, that he is really good, and that if you, if you ask him, he will receive you into his kingdom. That's how, that's how simple it is. It's faith. What do you believe about God? See, what is, what is the devil whispered in your ear about him? About what makes it you so uncertain? 
God wants to bring you out of Adam into Christ. Let's pray.